Greetings, fellow Earthlings. This is Dave Smith with another episode of And Another Thing with Dave. And in this episode, I want to talk about the power of presidential pardon. Should we allow the president to pardon? Should there be parameters? When did this start? And what is it used for? And how is it affecting us today? Let's dig into this. So I want to read something here. The origins of the pardon. This is uh, online. How stuff works. How presidential pardons work. Okay, so the pardon is based on the royal pro <clears throat> the royal prerogative of English kings, which gave the king the ability to overturn any sentence. Originally, the king's prerogative existed without any limitations attached to it, but during the reign of King Charles II, 18, uh, 1660 to 1685, the English parliament managed to institute the single rule that impeachment was excluded from the pardon power. Thus, uh, this rule lives today. Um, when the American founders were developing the laws for the United States in the late 18th century, the power to pardon almost didn't make it into the Constitution. In fact, it was barely considered. Two plans, the Virginia Plan and the New Jersey Plan for framing the Constitution, did not include the power to pardon. One of the Virginia Plan's backers, George Mason, believed it was a mistake to grant such power to a single person, having just revolted against King George III, whom many Americans considered a tyrannical king. Many of the Mason's fellow framers agreed with him. Okay, so I, in a nutshell, I basically agree with that. It's too much power for any one person. It's a slippery slope. If you're going to allow the president to pardon people, then ultimately, can he pardon himself? Can he create a criminal cabal that operates while he's in office and uh, pardon them after, you know, on his way out? Uh, this can lead to all sorts of conflicts of interest. Um, right, so I just don't see, I don't see any good reason for it. It's one thing to have a governor be able to pardon somebody that's, say, on death row or is facing a large jail sentence when confronted with new information, perhaps uh, DNA, something like that. But aside from that, mm, I, I'm not sure. So, and speaking to that, here is Senator Jack Reed from his YouTube channel speaking to that subject. Senator from Rhode Island. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Uh, I rise today to express my concerns about the president's recent interference in war crimes cases involving members of the United States military and the president's inappropriate public statements regarding these cases. The He's referring to uh, President Trump having pardoned a couple people that were convicted of war crimes in Afghanistan and Iraq, um, one of which was a... Um, green beret that like you know sliced this guy's throat and then posted trophy pictures online the president has the power to pardon but he has a responsibility to use that power wisely not recklessly 
And the way he has gone about it in this instance does a real disservice to our troops and the entire American military justice system. Good order and discipline are critical and time-honored traits of the United States military, not only to enable military readiness and effectiveness, but also to ensure military men and women remain firmly tethered to our nation's moral and ethical principles in the most demanding wartime environments. And I think it's crucial what he pointed out there, because uh, once that once you allow moral degradation, that's a slippery slope. And then look at what happened in Guantanamo Bay, right? With full on torture. OK, so let's go on and look at a couple other um, views on the uh, power of presidential pardon. Here is the Federalist Society their YouTube channel, and here they are speaking about the power of presidential pardon. The presidential pardon is one of the most amazing powers that a president has. A pardon is a power that a chief executive has to pardon people who are under investigation or who are charged with a crime or convicted of a crime. And it is usually done for one of two reasons. One, for the public welfare, and two, mercy. Okay, so for either of those, I'd say it could be a good idea. But it has been used for all kinds of scandalous uh, reasons, which I will get into in a moment. Here is CNBC, CNBC on Trump and the rules of presidential pardons. Presidential pardoning is one of the most powerful political tools available to a sitting U.S. president. With the stroke of a pen, the commander-in-chief can forgive someone for their crime and restore the civil rights they lost, like the right to vote or hold office. Pardons can go pretty much unchallenged by other branches of government. And with that kind of sweeping power often comes questions and controversy. Here's how presidential pardons work. Presidential pardoning power was written into Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution in 1789. It says the president shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. So as long as it doesn't have to do with impeachment, most federal, but not state crimes, are fair game for pardoning. And there's no limit on how many people a president can pardon. Franklin D. Roosevelt holds the record with a whopping 2,819 during his time in office. The crimes that end up getting pardoned run the gamut, but they're often white-collar crimes, though there have been a few bizarre ones, like when Abraham Lincoln pardoned a man for attempted bestiality. And this. Drumstick, you are hereby pardoned. They're showing Trump pardoning a turkey. And then there are the cases that stir up controversy. In 1974, President Ford issued a pardon to former President Nixon after he resigned in disgrace. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. On Bill Clinton's last day in office, he issued a pardon to Mark Rich, a fugitive who had fled pending federal charges. Rich's ex-wife was a major donor to the DNC and Hillary Clinton's campaign. More recently, President Trump pardoned Sheriff Joe Arpaio, 
who has been accused of various types of police misconduct and convicted of criminal contempt of court. Usually people put in a formal request to be pardoned after their conviction, a process that can take several years. In Arpaio's case, Trump issued the pardon without Arpaio filing a request before he was even sentenced. While the president can essentially pardon anyone and at any time, can the president pardon himself? No president has ever tried it, but President Trump seems to think he can. So what they're citing here is a tweet by Trump <clears throat> that says, I have the absolute right to pardon myself. As has been stated by numerous legal scholars, I have the absolute right to pardon myself. Absolute right. Tremendous right. Absolutely tremendous. But why would I do that when I have done nothing wrong? In the meantime... The never-ending witch hunt, led by 13 very angry and conflicted Democrats, and others, continues into the midterms. <laughs> so that was his tweet at 7.35 a.m. on June 4th, 2018, that they were referring to. We've got a clip from Democracy Now! How George H.W. Bush's pardons for Iran-Contra conspirators set the stage for Trump's impunity. Um... What they're going into now, right here in this clip, is uh, about the invasion of Panama on George H.W. Bush's watch. Um, well, I'll talk about it after. I'll, I'll comment after we hear this, because this is pretty powerful. What happened in Panama is a hidden horror. Many of the bodies were bulldozed into piles and immolated in the slums where they were collected. Other bodies were left in the garbage chutes of the poor projects in which they died from the shooting, from the artillery, from the machine guns, from the airborne attacks. Others were said to have been pushed into the ocean. That was Robert Knight, a late reporter for WBAI uh, in the documentary, the Oscar-winning documentary, Panama Deception. Last month, the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights called on Washington to pay reparations to Panama over what was widely seen as an illegal invasion. We're joined now by international human rights attorney, Jose Luis Morin, who's been working since 1990 to secure reparations for Panama. He's now a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice and chairperson of the Latin American and um, the Latin American Studies Department um, at John Jay, uh, as well as Greg Grandin joining us from New York University. Um, Jose Luis Marin, you <clears throat> get a job at the Center for Constitutional Rights in 1990. Your first day on the job, you're on a flight to Panama. My first day on the job was to get on a plane to be part of a delegation to investigate uh, the reports of civilian uh, vic victims of the, the U.S. invasion. And uh, this was a delegation of, of the National Lawyers Guild. Um, I was there as part of, uh, as an attorney for the Center for Constitutional Rights. And among the, um, the persons that joined us was um, attorney Hilma Camargo, who has continued um, to, to be the uh, attorney for the victims uh, after I left the Center for Constitutional Rights. It's taken almost 30 years for judgment on, the, uh, uh, on what happened in Panama to come out from an international body. Can you talk about the, the, uh, why it took so long to be able to get this? 
Well, when, when you're going against the most powerful country in the world, um, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be pushback. Um, and clearly, the United States, or every, every stage of this case, um, attempted to claim that the Inter-American Commission didn't have the competency, that we had not exhausted uh, all remedies um, as required under international law and the procedures of the, the, the commission. Um, and, um, and so at, at every stage, um, the United States was, and, and it continues to deny its responsibility. Talk about the community, um, the neighborhood that was hit the hardest. We're talking a bomb every few minutes, massive bombing of Churios. So El Chorrillo is a, a poor neighborhood um, uh, located in Panama City, and it, it is uh, it's also the site of the Comandancia, um, the headquarters uh, of the military. Um, what the United States claimed is that it was doing a surgical strike, but it became very obvious that a whole neighborhood was put up in flames and, and was being destroyed in the invasion. And that meant that um, civilians uh, were being targeted indiscriminately. Um, and that's what's important about this, the commission's uh, findings, is that um, they did find civilians having been targeted indiscriminately, um, and that the United States was not taking the precautions necessary. Um, it was acting in a very reckless um, and uh, an arbitrary way in how it was trying to meet its military objectives. And under international law, that's, that's prohibited. And, uh, and Panama also became the... the uh the place where the United States tested some of its newest weaponry. Listen, the B-1, the stealth bomber, was first used in That's combat uh, in Panama as well. That's correct. And, and so that also struck fear in the population, because there was all this unusual weaponry that was being used. It was also the first time that the Humvee was being used as well, um, that which replaced the, the, uh, the military jeep. Um, there was all sorts of ways in which the population was being intimidated um, as part of this process. Uh, so I just got to interject right there. So part of this was to actually test weapons. Um, so I know a bunch of people aren't hip to the history of what was going on right then, but the Iran-Contra scandal had just been broken um, by a guy in the San Jose Mercury News, and um, it was this huge scandal where George Bush and the CIA were illegally funding Iran and this the Contras in Nicaragua and in turn smuggling cocaine from Nicaragua um, back into the U.S. through Mena, Arkansas in order to pay for the whole thing. So that's, oh, so part of what we were doing in, in Panama was intimidating through um, use of power. But what we really wanted to do, Manuel Noriega, the leader of Panama, we captured him because he was, we had to uh, stop and uh, refuel our planes that we were smuggling cocaine in. We had to stop and refuel in Panama. So Manuel Noriega knew all about the operation. So he had to die or be thrown in prison forever. And he's never been heard from ever since. And then in turn, we destroyed whole neighborhoods in Panama just as a brutal show of, of force, total bit of bully move, um, but also testing weapons as they're talking about here. We tested out the Humvee, 
the stealth fighter, we also tested out cluster bombs for the first time in these uh, favelas or ghettos, you know, shanty towns. We just cluster bombed whole shanty towns. Really despicable. And in charge of this operation were Elliot Abrams and uh, John Bolton, who made it back to be uh, envoys to the Central and South American foreign policy for the Trump administration because they got pardoned by George Bush. So war criminals coming back to be, you know, to, to work their evil again. Well, let's continue with this clip. Um, as part of this process. Um, and because so many of these uh, neighborhoods were the poorest, were the, the places where, you know, the black and brown Panamanians lived, they could be ignored and they could be marginalized. Let's go back to the Oscar-winning documentary, The Panama Deception. Pentagon used Panama as a testing ground for newly developed high-tech weapons, such as the stealth fighter, the Apache attack helicopter, and laser-guided missiles. There are also reports that can't be explained indicating the use of experimental and unknown weaponry. Nosotros tenemos testimonios de personas combatientes we have testimony about combatants who died literally melted with their guns as a result of a laser. We know of automobiles that were cut in half by these lasers of atrocities committed by weapons that fire poison darts which produce massive bleeding. That clip from the Panama deception ends with University of Panama professor Cecilio Simon. Um, Jose Luis Marin, tell us who Jose Isabel Salas Galindo is, the named person in the uh, so Salas suit. is the, the lead um, uh, petitioner in this case. Um, we had a total of 272 cases that were um, uh, filed with, with the commission. Um, his case was, was quite um, compelling because um, not only did he suffer injuries, but his wife, um, Dionysia, um, who was at home at the time um, in um, a building uh, that, that's known as a 15-story building, uh, was struck um, with artillery fire. Um, she was in the kitchen at the time. Um, her body was, was destroyed. I mean, literally destroyed in, in that attack uh, while she was at home um, and, and, and in ways that, that, that were just, um, just indescribable. Um, people described that they had, because of her, her remains were scattered in the kitchen, had, had to be shoveled um, into a body bag. Um, the other family members also um, in that attack also suffered injuries, and they're part of the case. Greg Grandin, I'm wondering your assessment of the impact of the Panama invasion on the Bush presidency, because he was always battling criticism that he was a wimp, that he was, uh, uh, he, he, he was not uh, fit to be president, and how this affected him. Well, he was. He was, he was constantly uh, fighting the image of being a wimp and ineffectual, living in the shadow of, of Ronald Reagan. He was called Reagan's lapdog. He had a long history of violence in the third world, starting back from uh, his days in, in, uh, in, in West Texas with 
Zapata Oil Company. He was involved with the CIA, which they helped run logistics to the Bay of Pigs. Um, uh, he, as head of the CIA, he, uh, he presided over the head of the CIA in 1976 during the height of Operation Condor, which kind of organized national death squads in Latin America into and coordinated their activity. The, the, the single largest run of bombings and executions carried out by Condor happened on, while Bush was the head of the CIA, Iran-Contra as vice president. And so Panama— And when you so say Iran-Contra, just if you could <laughs> expand on that, especially for young people well, who don't understand what this was. Iran-Contra was a many-hydra-headed uh, scandal that involved selling high-tech weaponry to Iran, diverting the profits to support the anti-communist Contras in Nicaragua and Central America— In violation of U.S. In law. In violation of U.S. Law, but also it meant, in my gesture to it meant that it supported the worst kind of, of, uh, of death squatters and assassins and fascists in Central America throughout the 1980s, and Bush was was deeply involved in that as vice president and coming out of out of, out of his work with the CIA. So my point and, to and the cleaning of Panama yeah. is that Bush had a long history of violence in the third world as a way of establishing himself, which obviously continued with the first Gulf War. And uh, a key part of that Iran-Contra is that once Bush becomes president, he pardons all the people who were involved with it. No, not once he becomes president, when he's leaving. When he's leaving, when he's leaving, yeah, when he's leaving he's as president. defeated by Clinton in the Christmas Eve 1992. He pardoned six of them. And uh, Lawrence Walsh, the independent prosecutor, says that this completes the cover-up of Iran-Contra. So in some ways, it's a precedent for um, for current politics in terms of the, the, the limits and, and Ill, limitlessness of, of presidential power. To so there it is. George Bush Sr. pardoned people when he was going out of office as president that he had committed crimes with as vice president. So there you have it. It is absolutely immoral to allow the president that power. There's no check and balance on it. And as you can see, absolute power leads to absolute corruption. And George H.W. Bush was one of the cor most corrupt bastards in history. He was the head of the CIA for, I think, 17 years or something. And as this guy just said, he was the head of the CIA under Operation Condor when they had organized international death squads operating in sync. That was him. He also was one of the architects of, uh, you know, the um, project for the new American century and a huge proponent for the new world order. And he started the, you know, rewriting of the maps in the Middle East. So there you have it. Presidential power bad. Um, <clears throat> but let's look at some presidential pardons gone wrong. So I believe it was um, George Bush Sr. who pardoned Elliot Abrams and John Bolton. Um, those two were convicted of war crimes for their roles in Central and South America. So
so that's not good. Uh, I'm trying to Google here who pardoned. Yep. <clears throat> President George H.W. Bush granted pardons to six, six defendants in the Iran-Contra affairs, and that included Elliot Abrams and John Bolton. Let's see if I could... Yep, Elliot Abrams... Casper Weinberger, Robert McFarlane, Claire George, Alan Fierres Jr., Dwayne Claridge. And this is for their role in the Iran-Contra scandal, which is super scandalous, right? That was basically... Uh, Bush as the ex-head of the CIA and vice president going against the direct will of Congress to sell weapons to <clears throat> Iran to support them against their war in Iraq, against Iraq. We were also selling our weapons to Iraq because, you know, you help your enemies kill each other and, you know, it's a net gain, right? So we're arming both sides. And, but Congress forbid the funding of it. So how did we get the funding for it? Oh, well, George Bush and his buddies in the CIA started smuggling cocaine out of Nicaragua. That's why it's the Iran-Contra affair. So the Contras <clears throat> were these rebels that we, you know, that were fighting the democratic uh, government of Nicaragua, and we were supporting them to overthrow the democratically elected government of, of Nicaragua. We were also sending them uh, weapons to do that with and smuggling cocaine out of Nicaragua, selling it into the U.S., in the U.S., and then financing the whole thing with cocaine sales. So plane loads of cocaine coming into the United States. This is all documented. I did another podcast about it, the Clintons cocaine and conspiracy. Check it out. I've got all the links to all the <clears throat> the sources there. But basically, in a nutshell, um, a reporter for the San Jose Mercury News broke the story. Um, it went viral. The CIA was busted smuggling cocaine into the United States. Bill Clinton was involved. It was flown into Mena, Arkansas, and that's how Bill Clinton made it onto the presidential stage. How the hell else did the governor of the poorest country, uh, uh, state in the country become president, you ask? Well, he did business with George Bush Sr., helping him with his cocaine smuggling and, and illegal war funding operation. Um... And this is all documented, so crazy, crazy. So it can go very wrong. So anyway, Elliot Abrams, war criminal from Central and South America, convicted war criminal. John Bolton, convicted war criminal for his activities in Central and South America. Both of them got pardoned by George Bush Sr. And... Uh, were serving in the Trump administration, ironically enough, as, um, you know, foreign advisors to Central and South America.
because they know that so well. And that should show you what our foreign policy is in that region. You know, we put convicted war criminals back in charge of our foreign policy in that region. Wow. So should the president be able to pardon people? Fuck no. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? So I think that's a pretty simple one there. I say no. Definitely no. So thanks for tuning in, people. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, digging what I'm doing, please do subscribe. Um, you can download the Anchor app, and then you can actually leave me a one-minute voice recording that I can include in any of podcast of your choice. So you can leave up to a one-minute comment on any podcast, and I will include that on the podcast. Um, also, please do share with friends and help me grow the podcast. I'm also open to ideas for uh, future episodes. And let me know if you would like to join me as a uh, guest on the podcast to discuss anything. Thank you for tuning in. Once again, this has been Dave Smith with and another episode of blah, 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 with another episode of and another thing with Dave. Peace out and keep fighting Earthlings.